the diversity of food, which was fascinating to me, and the good food, but also that when you sat down at a table with people, a lot of um, borders between people were broken. And, 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 and people started relaxing and talking together. Today on Dirty Linen, we are really honored to have a special guest from the US. Joan Nathan is a contributor to the New York Times, to many other publications. She is the author of a dozen books on Jewish cooking and exploring the rich heritage and contemporary expression of Jewish food in all kinds of places around the world. She is multi-awarded and in high demand, so it is really an honor to welcome you, Joan, to Daddy Linen. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, how is your trip in Australia? Oh, my God. It is fabulous, quite fabulous. The markets, the the produce, especially the, the red, red rhubarb at this time of year. I love it. I've never seen so much such robust rhubarb. Uh, it's amazing. Everything has been, I, you know, I had never expected to go to Australia and here I am. Wow. And how have you found Jewish food culture so far on your trip? Well, so far it's been really interesting that it's in a way in, in some of the um, more religious areas, it's like a throwback to what it must have been in Poland before the war. And that, for me, as somebody who writes about Jewish food, is very, very interesting. So I'm learning every moment. Wow. It's it's so great. I mean, the thing that I love about working in food is that you just are always given opportunities to learn. So it's, um, yeah, incredible to think that even when you're such an authority that there's still, you know, fresh bites to find in different places. Well, you know, it's it's a funny thing that you should say that because... I realize I've been doing this since like 1970s and I get a kid's excitement every time I find a new recipe or new old recipe that I can make up to date for my readers. And I don't know if you feel like that too, but that's what happens to me and I love it. I love it still. <laughs> well, definitely. I think food is such a way, it's such an expression. It's all about, there's so much connection and heritage in it, but it is also such a beautiful way to bring a very, uh, you know, a very present joy. Uh, it's so, it's got this, yeah, awesome ability to be, uh, you know, connect us through time, but also be, you know, very much in the moment. Right, exactly. And I'm very much looking forward um, to to trying some of the or seeing what cakes people bring to me at this food festival to see what from the past is there. Yeah, well, I think so many um, Jewish families in Australia have, you know, a cake recipe that's been handed down and treasured. And I mean, yeah, it's in some cases adapted, you know, perhaps someone thinks there's too much sugar in it or someone then becomes gluten free. So I think, you know, there's always these, um, yeah, sites of adaptation and tweaking, but then, you know, a rich connection to, to old stories. Um so, Joan, we're going to, you know, we're talking around the time of Hanukkah and I thought it would be wonderful for you to give a, you know, a real introduction to that, this important Jewish festival for people who perhaps know nothing about what it means and what the food traditions are around it. Well, it's it's the festival of freedom and the festival of lights. Um, and it, it, 
you know, it started in ancient Israel where the um, the the Israelites won over the Assyrians, and um, they only you know this is sort of a, a story. They only had enough light in the synagogue for one day, and it lasted for eight days. But really, I think of it as a a, a um, holiday of lights because the menorah. First of all, the ancient menorahs were olive oil. Olive oil was light, it was heat, it was cooking in the ancient world. And so it was the end of the olive oil harvest. So that's really what I think that they were celebrating. You know, it was because most of the holidays were around some sort of harvest. So if you go way back, you know, it's it's, uh, the winter solstice. And it was very important at that p- period of time for light. Nobody had electric lights or anything like that. And so there are many different things that are celebrated that eaten um, at Hanukkah. One of them is a, a jelly donut. And um, that's actually the, the most modern and also the most ancient dish. It was something that was eaten in Greece, uh, locomades. And it went all over the world. And Jews came to Poland and other places and ate ponchki, which are, are, are jelly donuts. And they brought them to, to Israel. And um, they changed the name of it to something Hebrew, which was sufgan, which came from the Greek meaning sponge. And um, they were filled sponge donuts. And that's what they eat in Israel. But now, of course, there's not just filled with strawberry jam, but with all kinds of fillings um, all over the world. And that's really interesting. The other thing is they always ate latkes, which were like maybe made out of flour and um, just any kind of grain that they could fry because people didn't have anything else. Or there was a cheese, sort of like a very sour cheese, Um and then when potatoes came in, in Eastern Europe, they started using potatoes in their pancakes, as everybody did. And these, because they were fried in oil, were something that you would eat at Hanukkah. And that's what people eat at Hanukkah, potato pancakes. So, you know, it, 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 it sort of food has transformed the holiday. Um, the other thing is that you light a a, 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 a a candle each night for each day and the children love this and they you know they play with dreidels now i don't know if in australia it's like this but where i live in the united states because it comes around christmas it's become more of a major gift holiday and um which i don't love as a mother and a grandmother because (laughs) I hate to buy presents you know kind of dumb presents Um, but you know so it's been more given more importance it was a minor holiday but it's given more importance in lands where Christmas um, there's so much made of Christmas yeah yeah, definitely. Well, it is the same in Australia where Hanukkah, I think, has yeah, come to greater prominence exactly because it's proximity to Christmas. So it's sort of been elevated. But 
I, I do love um, this idea that we're celebrating oil and things cooked in oil because of this miracle of the, the lamp that that kept burning. Um, and, yeah, it's, it is really nice to reflect on olive oil as, um, you know, that it's one of its prime uses was providing light. I think it's, yeah, we've definitely lost touch with that part. I think as we've fallen more and more in love with olive oil, we've definitely, you know, been very out of touch with, with the, one of its original uses. Right. And, you know, also to, here I am in Australia and I hope to go visit um, the olive oil growers um, in Tasmania when I'm there. Oh, that's fantastic. It's so wonderful to hear that you're making it to Tasmania. Um where I'd say it's a much smaller community generally than a smaller Jewish community, but so much beautiful food and, and wine to explore and, yeah, so much incredible nature. Yeah, and, you know, one thing that's really been so impressive to me are your amazing markets. Um, I was at the one, is it called Prahan, P-R-A-H-A-N? Oh, Paran, yeah. It's a hard one to say. <laughs> oh, my God, it's fabulous. And also the one in, in Sydney, Carriageworth, they're just amazing, amazing and beautiful. It makes you want to just spend lots of money. Well, people certainly do that when they can at those markets. Yeah, it's definitely an easy place to spend money. And I think always when you're coming from the Northern Hemisphere into, well, as we come into our summer, I'm sure, as you mentioned, the rhubarb, I'm sure there's a lot of fruits and vegetables that are looking pretty luscious as you exit the colder climes. Yeah. So, Joan, I'd love to just learn a bit more about you. Um, tell us how you got, how you started um, as a food writer. Well, you know, I always liked to eat. And, um, you know, even as a kid, and I'm actually doing a memoir right now. On So I've been reflecting on this. But my father was from Germany, and he sent me to France as a young girl. He said I had to learn French. And when I got to France, this was when I was like 17 years old or 16 years old, I just couldn't believe the food. And then later I went to Israel and I worked for Teddy Kollek, the mayor of Jerusalem. And when I was there, I was his foreign press attaché. This was in my 20s. Um, I just noticed that... Um, there were all kinds of traditions. There were like 70 different countries coming to Israel, you know, plus um, Arabs from different communities and Christians from different sects. It was just fascinating. And because he was the mayor of Jerusalem, we would go to visit everybody. And I noticed two things. Notice the, the diversity of food, which was fascinating to me, and the good food, but also that when you sat down at a table with people, a lot of um, borders between people were broken and, 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 and people started relaxing and talking together. So that's been something that I've always, it's been in the back of my mind that, and, and I've always tried when I'm writing about people to not just talk to them on the phone, but to interview them in person because so many barriers were broken and I learned so much more about the food than just the ingredients. And that's what's made, I feel, my career so very rich because, you know, I learned, like I went to an Arab, to a, an Iraqi home in, in, in London and I learned, you know, how in the people lived like 30 people in a house and how they 
preserve food over the throughout the year and and they went to you know details that I you know wrote down and preserved and that's what I've been doing since 1970s yeah I mean do you feel like there is an overall project through all your different books and articles well I think yeah and I mean I, I don't write just about Jewish food I write a lot a lot about ethnic undiscovered people and undiscovered food. That's what really turns me on, you know, rather than going to a fancy restaurant and writing about it. Um, but I think the under it, it's, it's connection with people. I think that's the most important thing to me um, and getting people's stories out there that, yeah, I don't know what, what's the most important thing for you. I hear you do great things. Uh, well, <laughs> hopefully that's true. Um, I think the most important thing for me is, I don't know, it's, for me I feel privileged that you get to go straight to the heart of somebody's life and their story because food is central. Food is something that people carry with them from, you know, other places and, and other eras. So, yeah, I think for me it's about that connection with people and having this really expressive, daily, essential medium, which is food, as this vehicle to tell those stories. Absolutely. It's it's just amazing how much. And then also people relax when they're talking to you and they'll tell you other stories that connect to the food, connect to their lives. Yeah. I mean, food is so intertwined in every every aspect of society like you know politics and social justice and immigration and the environment so i just feel like it's a shortcut to get to the the core of of what's really important oh i like that absolutely absolutely and that you know that's what i've been trying to do forever mm, i love that it's just the best project so <laughs> i i I think, you know, it's. I feel like it's important to touch on anti-Semitism because there is more of it around now. I don't know if it's that it's more present or people feel emboldened to be anti-Semitic, um, but where? how do you, do you see what you do as having a role in breaking down, you know, hatred and prejudice and, you know, Holocaust denial and, you know, all those terrible things? Well, I think, first of all, not only is anti-Semitism up, but bigotry in general is up. So that's yeah, important. Yeah, it's really too. important to say that. Absolutely. Um, but what I try to do is, I don't know, I feel, I just keep going along. And I feel as if, if you're, there, there's really nothing that you can do about bigotry, but if you let's say you, you go into a recipe like somebody just called me she's doing a, a recipe for the new york for the la times for christmas on potato dumplings her family is german not jewish of course um and we talked for a long time about them because i know them from from jewish germans right and by doing that we we t we learned similarities and we and we connected as human beings, and I think that's the most important thing that you can do is talk about these things, and um, you know have it, it might be a good idea to have like dinners 
occasionally with, let's say, Jewish, Christian, I don't know, Aborigine, everybody together to talk, you know, what what's important to women, what's important to men. I mean, I'm thinking more about women than men um, because women can get to men, you know, just just breaking down all these barriers that that's the important thing to do and i don't know i think most people are really good people most people don't want to have hate in their heart and the others you know what are we going to do with them i don't i i just lead my life mm. i agree with you i think the vast majority of people are like incredibly good and loving and caring um uh, but I think also, yeah, people are also vulnerable and susceptible to um, being, yeah, having bad ideas <laughs> embedded in them somehow. So I, I agree that um, sitting around a table and sharing and connecting is a great way to break it down. I guess um, sometimes I worry we just aren't able to get people to, to the table. Right. And, you know, sometimes um, people will ask what I am when I'm speaking to them. And then if I say that I'm Jewish, they'll say very often, okay, it was, it, it's like they didn't really know many Jews. But I feel as if, if, you, if you are what you are, then, you know, then just be who you are and I think you'll get by very well. And give them some good food, you know, have them try something that makes them calm down. What are some dishes or, or recipes or ingredients that, that you're really excited about at the moment? Well, I guess I should go back to rhubarb because I'm always excited yes. about rhubarb. Yes, I love rhubarb. Please tell me what you would do with it. Well, I just last night I was at this restaurant here called Gray and Gray. Oh, great. I'm so happy you went there. Well, And they had a rhubarb sauce over I, most of your listeners probably don't like tongue, but I happen to like tongue. And it was so delicious and so bright red that I thought, oh, boy, because I, I make it in um, I have a rhubarb sauce over fish, which is from the island of Rhodes. And I have, a, you know, a, a, a rhubarb and spinach soup from Lithuania. And, you know, these are on my regular repertoire because <laughs> I have a lot of um, rhubarb and sorrel in my garden. Um, you know, and of course, rhubarb pie. I love, but I like rhubarb rather than strawberry rhubarb. Um, you know, that's one thing. But I don't know. Uh, there, there's so many. Let me, let me just think of what else I'm excited about. Oh, I liked the, the I, I can't wait to try some of your what's the 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 kind of apples lady pink lady apples yes they're delicious <laughs> and i want to try making a pie with them because i love at this time of year i love um apple pies and i know that i'm going to be uh, you know that i'd like making those and also the different kinds of fish um were extraordinary that i tasted um it, there's just so much new things here for me. And I was really happy to learn that, is it Barbaries are growing in Tasmania? I like Barbaries. And, oh, I know, poppy seeds in Tasmania. And I, I, I ground some poppy seeds yesterday um, at a coffee shop in 
Caulfield. I forget where. Um, and I'm going to make um, <laughs> rugelach with chocolate and and um, poppy seed, like a mash. And I think they're going to be delicious. A, a recipe that I just learned in Warsaw. I've been traveling a lot. <laughs> that is amazing because, I mean, yeah, rogelach with chocolate. So just for people who don't know, rogelach are like a sort of, I guess, a pastry twist, um, you would say, like almost like a, a mini croissant but um, more with uh, a, a dough. It's not a – is it a yeasted dough? Well, it, 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 it can be a yeasted dough. It can't it, – what what I'm learning here from the, some of these pastry shops is that it's really can be the, like the same dough that you use for challah, the same dough you use for babka, and it, then you can just twist it in a different way. However, mm, I think yeah, mostly I see it here with with um yeah that sort of babka yeasted dough like a right but they but it but in Poland today it's a farmer's cheese dough and in the United States I don't know if you have cream cheese or Philadelphia cheese it's a very it's an easy easy dough to make and it's you you roll it out it's cream cheese butter and and um flour and you you roll it out into a round and then you smear on it whatever your filling is going to be either chocolate or but i've never seen chocolate and um uh, and a uh, poppy seed together and you know either the europe it seems to be either you're a poppy seed lover or a chocolate lover but this one everybody will love and then you, what you do in the states is you smear it on and then you um roll then you cut it in like 16 pieces and you roll each one up like a crescent and then you bake them and that's that's the americanization of rugelach mm, i'm pretty excited by this idea of chocolate and poppy seed because yeah i i would say yeah you know, like a babka or a strudel it's like one or the other but yeah i mean let's put them together i think that's going to amplify the joy yeah, ex- exactly. Amplify the joy, <laughs> and, and but uh, but I did try it once half because the recipe that was sent to me was half chocolate and half um, poppy seed. But that's not going to work. It's better to have more poppy seed and less chocolate because the chocolate seems to take over. So that's that's my recipe of the moment. Um, I'm also what I learned from some of the women here is that you that you take. Uh, I think the the. the uh, you take grated apples instead of cut up apples, which I do in something called a Jewish apple cake. And um, I'm going to try it with a cut up with the grated apples and you put flour in it. And in the States, you put orange juice and the, they call it Jewish apple cake because you put oil in it. And, you know, I've learned this recipe from um, church cookbooks in the States, but not with grated apples. And that seems to be very Polish. So I'm going to try it with grated apples and see how it works. Mm, I reckon they'll just melt through. It'll be so delicious. Yeah, exactly. Um, Joan, I want to ask you about my Hungarian grandmother's sweet pasta bake to see if you've um, heard of this recipe, because I don't know if it 
comes from anywhere or if she made it up, but it's basically flat egg noodles that are stirred through with poppy seeds and usually apricot jam uh, put into a, a dish. Cream is poured over and then it's baked. So it becomes like this crunchy, soft, um, sweet lasagna type concept, but with poppy seeds and jam. Oh, well, you know, I, I've, you, will you please send me that recipe? I just, I, but I, I'll tell you what I have heard from uh, from Hungarian, where you take those same egg noodles. This is just another way of turning noodles into something delicious. Okay, um, if if you take poppy seeds and onions, sautéed onions and a little bit of um, sour cream, and you stir it all together. That's a very Hungarian dish, but it, it doesn't sound as delicious as yours. Yeah, well, this was it was a dessert that we would have from time to time. Um, and I've never seen it written down anywhere, but I thought if anyone's going to know, it's you. No, but I can find it out for you. I can look. But what about, did you, I have all the Hungarian cookbooks and I know the Hungarian writers. Oh, the other thing that I'm very interested in, and I just saw that here. I've seen it twice. The, is it called Mudvenik? Uh, it's like a honey cake that was a Soviet, very popular during the Soviet times. And it's about 10 layers with, um, sour cream in between them or a sour cream mix but originally it was like a cream of wheat I don't know if you've ever heard of cream of wheat here mix and it's really delicious I saw it actually at gray and gray last night but I've seen it in the markets too and it and that and it also in Caulfield I saw it on a on a, at a bakery there's a Russian bakery um, that's really a delicious a cake and I've been looking at precursors of that cake that are sort of like a gingerbread crust. Ooh, you know, I'm really excited for you to, because we've got such beautiful honey here and honey, um, you know, uh, made with, you know, made by bees that, um, that forage native flowers like gum trees flowers and those kinds of things. So I would love you to experience one of those traditional cakes made with, um, yeah, some of these floral honeys. That would be yeah, a bit of a spin on it. Oh, where can I see that? I don't know. I feel like I need to make it for you. Because <laughs> yeah, well, I think I'll just have to meet. <laughs> yeah, definitely, absolutely. But this is it. We've. It, I think getting around the table, as you say, is um is always better. Um, Joan, it's just been such an absolute privilege to chat to you today. I'm really thrilled that you're finding so many delicious things in Australia, and yeah, I look forward to seeing where the inspiration takes you. Perhaps with future recipes, stories. And, and publications. Oh, well, thank you. I, I really would very much like to meet you. And I, I realize that what we both, what I like to do most of all is sort of, sort of like a, um, an inspector, you know, like a, a Miss, Miss Fisher of food, <laughs> you know. I love that, walking around with our magnifying glasses and, <laughs> and of course, our, our hungry bellies. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Joan. It's been a pleasure. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. 
We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.